The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This is the Business Locker Room Show with Kelly Riggs. In business, you have to play to win. You need an edge. You'll find that edge in the business locker room. Hey, business is like sports, and I want to bring the locker room to the boardroom. Giving you the playbook and the coaching you need to improve your business performance. With compelling interviews, cutting-edge business tactics and ideas, and the X's and O's segment with Miles Austin. I welcome in my good friend, Miles Austin. Welcome to the business locker room. Now... Here is your host, Kelly Riggs. Hey and howdy everybody. Great to have you on board. Biz Locker Radio. It's brought to you by the Business Locker Room. Thanks for joining us. It is the online business radio show with compelling conversations and useful cutting-edge content that you can use to impact your business today. Today's show, absolutely no exception to that rule, I assure you. So if you're looking to improve your business performance in any way, if you own a business, sell a product, manage a team, lead a company... This is definitely the place for you to be. Thanks for being a part of what we're doing here. You can find us at bizlockerradio.com, and each and every week we feature experts in sales and marketing and social media, business strategy, leadership, and so much more. And you always want to have something to write with because we're going to get into some really good practical tactical things that you can do to impact your business on a regular basis. I'm your host. I'm Kelly Riggs. You can find me on Twitter at Kelly Riggs. And, of course, as I mentioned, bizlockerradio.com, your source for everything we do on the show. Listen to the podcast in the past. Boy, you, you need to do what I do. I actually go to iTunes. I download the podcast, put them on my phone, listen to them in my car over and over. So much in terms of content, so many great guests that we put on board. You want to make sure you do the same. Hey, this is episode number 64. We call it Transforming Sales Results. Just a few minutes, uh, my good friend Mike Kunkel will join us from uh, Dallas, Texas, and we're going to talk about sales, and we're going to get into some very significant things, but want to give you some sense of what's coming down the road. Man, are the guests just piling up, and are they getting better and better every week? Next week, a gentleman by the name of Steve Baker will join me. He's a vice president with The Great Game of Business, and if you haven't read that book, it goes back a ways written by Jack Stack, who was the CEO of Springfield Remanufacturing Corporation. The Great Game of Business, a phenomenal book. It's about open book management. Tremendous amount of insights there, and I'm excited to welcome Steve Baker into the business locker room. The week after that, Tim Wackel will join us. Fantastic sales guy. He's also from Dallas, and uh, we'll have the opportunity to have a great conversation with him. And then August the 24th, wow, Oren Clough will join us. He wrote a book called The Pitch, uh, Pitch Anything, and uh, it, I'm telling you, that, that is going to be one great interview. So tune in and make sure you're not missing all of the things that we're doing. Biz Locker Radio presented by the Business Locker Room, and I'm excited to welcome in a, a really, really talented guy. As sales guys go, and I know a bunch of them, as sales training and profession, uh, professionals go, sales training and consulting guys 
Mike Kunkel is among the very, very best that I know, one of the smartest guys I know in terms of what he brings to the table in the selling world. Let me tell you a little bit about him. He's a training and organizational effectiveness leader with expertise in Salesforce transformation. He not only teaches it, but he did it very effectively for many, many years. At one company, as a result of six projects, he and his team delivered an extra almost $400 million in revenue year over year. He says, quote, I've got a special passion for highly customized sales training and performance systems that are based on performance lever analysis. We're going to talk about that. Hey, Mike, it is great to have you on the show, my friend. Thanks for joining me. Hey, Kelly, it's great to be here, and uh, that intro is just like my mom wrote it. <laughs> well, she did a nice job for you, man. Do you pay her well? <laughs> <laughs> I should. Hey, you can find, by the way, you can find Mike Kunkel online at MikeKunkel.com, just like it sounds. And, of course, if you're not following him on Twitter, you need to add him to the list, at Mike underscore Kunkel, and, uh, but when you read his stuff, you want to make sure that you allot the adequate amount of time. Mike doesn't write a two-minute expose. I mean, he, he lays it out there. Mike, you get a lot of grief uh, from some of your uh, colleagues out there for, for what you write, don't you? Uh, I, I do, but, you know, I, uh, I, I write periodically, so when I publish it, I try to hit somewhere between 1,800 and 3,600 words. So I don't have to write as often as all you guys that publish such great content consistently. Oh, hey, that's that's well positioned. Good job. Well, I know for me, when I read your stuff, typically I'm uh, writing notes and uh, and I stick with it and get to it because I mean you're you're I don't want to call you an academic. That just doesn't sound right. But but you're a highly intellectual guy when it comes to the whole sales process and sales training and all of that. Where where does that come from? Is that just naturally you, or did you develop that over time? How, how did how did you evolve? Well, there's a question. Uh, you know, I, I think, Kelly, it's just a natural wiring for me that um, I was never very good at putting things back together, but I loved to take things apart when I was a kid. Right. And, you know, my, you know, my brother's got all the talent in terms of mechanics or home improvement, and my dad was a jack-of-all-trades. I just didn't get that gene. But I got the real analytical piece where I love to tinker with things and take them apart and, and see how they really worked. And so when I got into the world of business, and I, I started actually working for a small business owner, and eventually became, he became an absentee owner, and I was running his company for him. And I was really puzzled. The first thing was probably hiring. I, you know, I hired people into the business. They seemed like they were sharp people, and they were very capable, and we, they all got the same training and the coaching. And some people just took off like superstars in sales, and other people really struggled. And I, I watched that, and I got really curious about how all these pieces and parts fit together. And I guess over the years, I've developed expertise by trial and error and by other trainings that, uh, that I attended or my company invested in me. Uh, and I, I started to figure things out. And uh, I guess that analytical bent has probably been a common theme through my whole career. So I, I guess it's, uh, I just stood in the right line and got the natural wiring. Well, I just love it. I know a lot of people who read your stuff just love it as well. It really appeals to me because not only are you analytical, but you're process-driven, and you wind up looking at things through that lens. Let's start in that realm when you talk about sales hiring. I, I deal with hiring not only on the sales side, but organizationally across the spectrum, and, and the reality is the vast majority of companies out there, almost regardless of size, but certainly in the small to business, medium-sized business range, Mike, 
they don't have any kind of process for hiring. And when you start talking about hiring salespeople and your only uh, sort of objective is to hire a quote-unquote born salesperson, you're just almost destined for failure, are you not? Well, more often than not, right? I mean, turnover rates are so extraordinarily high. And I've walked into some companies, whether they were clients when I was consulting or employers. Uh, I've been an employee probably the bulk of my career. And you look at the turnover rates, and I've seen anywhere from 30% to 50% to one company, 75%, and probably the worst, if you annualized it year over year, more than 100% of the new hires were turning over, and it was a core group of about 9 maybe 11% of the top producers that had been there forever that were carrying the whole business. And it's puzzling to me how we can look at a situation like that and say, that's okay, or where, where is it breaking down? And no one wants to be to raise their hand and say, "Well, I guess I'm not really doing such a great job of picking people." You know, and it's so easy these days to research companies and research people. And if we interview poorly, we forecast the answer we're looking for. And you know, it's so easy to hire poorly. Yet it's also not that difficult to hire really well if you have a plan, you know what you're looking for, and you have a strategic plan about how to assess that candidate. I mean, Dave Stein just did a, a webinar recently, probably the, one of the best ones I've attended this year, on how to hire salespeople more effectively. And it's all about having a system and a process, as you alluded to. Well, it's, it's, uh, you've certainly gotten people's attention. By the way, you're just joining us. My guest is Mike Kunkel, and you can find him on board at uh, MikeKunkel.com, anywhere on the Internet. Just Google the man's name and write the word sales beside it. He's going to pop up all over the place. But, uh, I mean, you've gotten people's attention. You said something really interesting. You said it's, it's really easy if you have a process. Can you give us some insight into that process, Mike? What are some of the critical mistakes that people are making, not just having that overall process, but what, what are some of those technical mistakes they're making? Well, I think one of the biggest mistakes is we like to hire people who are, who are like us or who we think have the right, quote-unquote, personality. And, and while personality assessments, if used properly, can really help you pare down and find more people like your top producers, trying to thumbnail that or, or trying to assess it in an interview just by having a conversation with people, very, very difficult. So getting into some of the patterns like hiring people who are like us or hiring people who are, quote-unquote, great talkers, because, hey, if you're in sales, you've got to be a great talker, right? right? So there are so many so many stereotypes and so many mistakes like that. And, you know, another is, there's no plan. They'll have four or five people interview a candidate, but there's no plan about who's going to ask what questions. And at the end, are they going to get together and calibrate and rate how well the candidate answered them? Were they the kind of questions that would help us decide that they have a skill or a trait or behavior? Uh, are they behavioral questions? I mean, you know, Kelly, it's funny. For years and years, everybody can say, oh, yes, behavioral interviewing is the way to go. Now, I've done a fair amount of interviewing in my career, and I can bet over the past 25 years, I could only cite about five interviews where someone actually sat down and asked me behavioral interviewing questions and forced me to stick to the format. That's a pretty poor batting average. What typically do people do, even if they start out that way, Mike? Where do they run off the rails? Well, the big thing that happens is they start out by saying, well, let me tell you about the job. 
and let me tell you about the company. And boy, at that point, my pen is flying, right, because they are forecasting to me all the answers that they're looking for. Now, right. I'm, I'm a little different animal when I'm in an interviewing process. I'm just going to tell you the way it is with me because I'm looking for a real fit, too. But I don't think that's the way that the average bear is wired. If you're looking for a job and you're a salesperson, you're listening for what they're looking for, right? You're reading the job description that they give you. You're listening to the questions that they, they ask you, and you're especially listening for all those forecasts that they do, all the foreshadowing. Well, yeah, we need somebody who is really hardworking. Do you think the person that's answering the question is not going to be hardworking? <laughs> right? yeah, we, we, you know, and that's just, that's just one silly example, right? But right. that is a common theme that I see where we forecast what we're looking for, we tell them everything up front, and then we ask them questions to see if they're like that. How well do you think that's going to work when you think it through? Yeah, the alternative too, Mike, I'm sure you've seen this as well, is most interviews just turn into resume reviews. Oh, I see you went to this college. Oh, I see you've had this job. Oh, I see you did this, that, and the other thing. And it's just, really? We had to have a conversation to confirm what you had on your resume, which is ironic because many times even what's on the resume is not altogether true. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the, the uh, hiring rights done some research and posted some results about that. We can Google those down pretty easily, but th- that's exactly right. In, in almost every single interview that I've done, someone has asked me to walk through my resume. After they do that, rarely do I get the follow-up questions about a particular role or a particular accomplishment or did I do that on myself or was it with a team or can you tell me about a time when? They just don't get into those kind of questions. Now, look, what's even worse about that, Kelly, is that you you can't just make that stuff up either. You need to be thinking in advance and doing what I call top producer research or top producer analysis in your company because if I know what the makeup is of my top producers, if I can look for commonalities across them, if I can look for the, the knowledge, the skills, and the behaviors. Now, I can train the knowledge piece, right, if I've got somebody sure. who's, who's teachable and coachable. But if I'm, I really start to get to what are the skills and behaviors and traits that my top producers exhibit, now, typically, when I do a top producer analysis, I'm doing it for training purposes. So I don't look at the top 4% very closely. Those people tend to be, you know, the superstars that it's very difficult to get the, the mere mortals to replicate what they do. So right. I, I kind of cross them out, and I look at the 16% below that and say, all right, these people have figured out the magic sauce in this company with this product set with these customers, and if I can get other people to do what they're doing, hey, that'll be phenomenal. That works really well for training. But if I'm hiring, not only do I want people like them, I do want more people like that top 4%. So if I can figure out their makeup and I can find out what they do, then I can start to formulate questions around that behaviorally that don't forecast what I'm looking for. I don't want to say, hey, I'm, I'm looking for somebody who will do pretty much whatever it takes. You know, is that you? What I right. want to do is, hey, tell me about a time when you were in a really difficult situation, struggling to make the right connections with a customer, struggling to really understand their needs. Tell me about how you attacked that situation, how you got it under control, and how you won the sale in the end. Yeah, that's, a very, that's a very different question, right? That's and an it, extremely different question, yes. And, and in that story, 
that that example that person is sharing with me, I, I may I may pick up on key things, or I want to even drill down further. Now these are tougher interviews; they're harder to prepare for. They take more time. But at the end of the day, when you start doing an analysis of what a hiring mistake costs you for a sales rep and what your turnover is costing you, I'd rather put the time in up front in the analysis and the preparation and reduce the turnover in failed salespeople because the return on that investment is phenomenal. Yeah, as I like to say, Mike, pay me now or pay me later. Pay me You're going to pay. Yeah. Absolutely right. Hey, Mike Kunkel is our guest. He joins us as we talk about sales transformation. And we're going to take our first time out. But, Mike, when we come back on the other side, a couple of things. I want to talk about assessments. You kind of alluded to those. like to give people a sense maybe of a couple of those assessments that you've used successfully really help you find what you're looking for. You also mentioned a couple of traits that you look for in salespeople. Maybe you can give us a little more sense of those as well. And then on the other side of the break as well, we're going to ask him about the simple truths about selling. Yeah, that's a blog post he wrote earlier this year. We'll come back and discuss that as well. I'm Kelly Riggs. Hey, this is Biz Locker Radio. You can find us at bizlockerradio.com. We'll be right back after this. I'm Kelly Riggs. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Kelly Riggs is an author, a highly acclaimed speaker, and a business performance coach for companies and executives across the country. Now in his eighth year as founder and president of VMAX Performance Group, Kelly has written two books, One-on-One Management, What Every Great Manager Knows That You Don't, and Quit Whining and Start Selling, a step-by-step guide to a Hall of Fame career in sales. Both are available on Amazon.com. Is it time to put Kelly to work for you? For more information on training or consulting in sales, leadership development, or strategic planning, visit VMAXPG.com. That's VMAXPG.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Conversations straight ahead with Kelly Briggs. Hey, welcome back to Biz Locker Radio, brought to you by the Business Locker Room. Great to have you on board. I want to remind you, you can always find the podcast at bizlockerradio.com, or as I mentioned, you can do what I do. You can download it on iTunes, listen to it in your car. Man, some of these interviews in the past have just been spectacular. It's not about me, it's about the guests we get on the show, much like we're doing today. Our guest is Mike Kunkel. Find him at mikekunkel.com. And follow him on Twitter at Mike underscore Conkel. Mike, when we, before we went to the break, we were talking about interviewing. You know, it's interesting when you look at people's resumes. Two things always stick out to me when, when we're hiring. If I look at a resume that doesn't talk about the things that they've accomplished in very tangible ways in the past, my red flags go up in a hurry. But I'm also, uh, it also bothers me that when there, those things are in the resume, when the hiring or the interviewing person, the hiring manager, doesn't ask them about how they did those things, they get no sense of, of, of how they created that success. I mean, that's a pretty basic error, wouldn't you say? 
Yeah, I think it's about the size of a Mack truck, Kelly, right? Yeah. And that's where I talk about the it's, the, it's not just the surface level questions that you ask. That's the kickoff point. And you know what's funny about this? What are the best sales people do? They're, they're in discovery mode, right? They ask exactly. a surface level question, but they, they have a, a, a line of sight, a, a line of inquiry where they're going. And when, when they get the answer to that question, they know where to go next and they drill down and they drill down a little bit further. And extraordinary salespeople do this and, and they probably do it at this point out of habit, but they learned it at some point. Now we promote those people into manager roles. Very often, by the way, as you know, we promote our best salespeople into the manager roles, whether or not they have the traits for being a, a great leader or an effective manager. Correct. And then what do they do? It's like the second they're promoted, this whole ability to question goes right out of their minds, and they don't interview that way. They don't coach that way. It's like, oh, I'm done with questioning now because I'm no longer a frontline sales rep. And it's that magic of questioning that unearths the real traits and skills and abilities of the candidate that helps you find the match, or if you're coaching, obviously, helps you really get into what's happening with your rep so you can coach them to a higher level of effectiveness. It's all about the questions, and that drill down and that line of sight and that plan is so critical. Mike, that's so funny. That's so spot on. It's unbelievable. You take a great salesperson and about all the training you provide them is this, good luck. And then you can't figure out why they can't do what they did in the field, you know, with hiring and training their people. Well, it's interesting. Hey, when you look for salespeople, most of the managers that I've talked to, most sales leaders I've talked to, they look for some very specific things. Give me, give me a sense of some non-negotiable traits that you're looking for in top-line salespeople. So, look, it's interesting when people ask this question, right, because I think there are a group of generic traits that we can talk about, and I've written some things about that, and I'll, I'll rattle some off in, in a minute. But I think what's, what's really important is when you do your top producer analysis, based on the product you're selling, your go-to-market strategy, the market you're selling to, the customers you're dealing with, you know, the, the traits that are required by the salespeople can vary. Now, having said that, I've seen over the years in my top producer analysis, a lot of things pop up again and again and again. We could arm wrestle, you know, about some of them or, you know, what else should be included, but there's a certain amount of drive, uh, a success drive or drive to succeed. Um, you call it a competitive nature, right, uh, mm-hmm. that, that I think is kind of an underpinning in a lot of effective salespeople. And interestingly, it seems almost a flip side but there's an empathy, uh, a, 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 someone who can feel the other person's pain and wants to help other people that I see a lot, too. You know, the ability to focus is pretty strong, a strong sense of responsibility. Um, I, I hate to say this because, you know, I, I tend to be a whole poker uh, by, by my natural wiring, but generally I see a pretty strong sense of optimism and positivity from right. salespeople. Um, there's a bias for action, I think a strong foundation in ethics, obviously persistence, you know, some influence skills. But I'll tell you, one of the biggest things that is, has become apparent to me very recently, not that I didn't think interpersonal skills were, were important before, but everybody now is talking about insight selling. I designed a program called Selling with Insights when I was uh, with a team of people, I should say, when I, I worked for Richardson. I'm a firm believer in the power of insight selling in the right situation. But one of the, the biggest blocks that I see get in the way of 
success with insight selling is a lack of really strong interpersonal and basic communication skills. And it comes back to the same thing we've been talking about, the ability to have a line of inquiry and follow through on it, discovery skills, the ability to hold a conversation with someone effectively and really get into a topic deeply with them without making them feel like they've got the spotlight in their eyes and they're in the interrogation chair. That's a foundational skill that I think is so important. And it goes beyond that, quote, unquote, great talker thing to really be a great listener and to be able to get in a topic and get in it deeply and do it in an engaging way with someone where they feel like they're really involved in it. When it's over, it's like, wow, that was a great conversation. It's that dialogue that is absolutely so critical. And I think you, you start to put that in the melting pot with some of these other things, and you know, you, you get somebody that in many situations they're going to figure out things. You know, there's a certain level of cognitive in there, Mm-hmm. You know, despite all the jokes that we might make sometimes about salespeople, by and large, especially the top producers that I've studied over the years, these are smart people, Kelly. You mm-hmm. know, these are people that they may not have, you know, uh, advanced degrees or they may not be phenomenal in mathematics, but these are people who have some real street smarts and they're people that have a fair degree of, of business intelligence. And so, you know, I think it's a, it's a very well-rounded individual who, uh, just like someone who achieves high levels in sports or anything else, those, those top performers tend to be, you know, real athletes, corporate yeah. athletes, as, as, uh, as someone else calls them. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, you know, it's, it's a challenge because it's tough to really put your finger on those things. It's not a pure intellectual capacity. It's not a, it's not a big encyclopedic knowledge of, of information, but it's someone that, that really can read situations, someone that can think on their feet and, and go where the conversation takes them. They're not locked into some uh, rote sort of patternistic kind of thing. And, and, I, and I don't know how you go about finding them. That leads us directly into something that maybe will help us, and that's assessments. You, you mentioned assessments. You alluded to them. Are there some that you like out there that you like to use? Well, sure, yeah, and I, and I, can, rattle, I can rattle some off, and I, I, I don't mind doing that. But there are so many out there today, and I'm sure that many of them are, are really good. I think the most important thing is to understand that there is a, there's a certain level of statistical validation that's required to prove that assessments work effectively. And if you're going to get into these, um, you can do Internet searches on it. You can find some government resources on it, and I know that always makes people want to laugh, but there really are some good government resources on the effective use of assessments, especially about the legalities and, and things involved. But I like assessments, Kelly, that assess a variety of things. Just in the same way that we just talked about, there's a whole series of different traits that, you know, that could define your top producers and your company, your products at your industry. So how do you figure that out? Well, one of the ways, the things I like to do is use assessments and assess the top producers and assess your middle producers and assess your bottom producers. And then start to look at whatever that assessment covers, right? Most of them cover at least the big five factor 
Um, and you can, you know, people interested in that can uh, can uh, do an internet search on the Big Five Factor uh, or psych- in psychometrics. They'll, they'll see a ton of different things uh, about that. That's probably one of the most validated models for personality assessments. But I know an assessment, Profiles International, uh, is a company that I've worked with before. They do personality pieces. Um, they do a piece on occupational interests, and they have a cognitive piece. And there have been some studies. One came out of the University of Michigan. They showed when you look at more factors or a variety of factors in your psychometric assessments, they tend to have a higher degree of accuracy. Now, there's a, another company called uh, Chally. Uh, Chally does really great assessments. They don't get into personality specifically and purposefully. They believe their approach is it's the competencies that matter. And they've mapped out, I think it's 22 different kinds of sales roles and the competencies that are required for success in those roles. And so if you take that master assessment from them, it'll map you against these 22 different roles and tell you which ones you're a really good fit for, which ones you're a fit for, and which ones you might, you might avoid. And if you understand what your sales role is and you pick the right, uh, the right role to, to match that, you'll find someone with competencies that are pretty close to what you're looking for. Now, if you use that competency model and a personality model and maybe throw in, like, this occupational interest, you know, I think you start to get a much more robust profile. So back to my story, you, you do your top producers, you do your middle producers, you do your bottom, and you look for statistical differences across those. And then what you start to get are ranges. So let's, let's think in maybe a scale of 1 to 10. On one side of that, you know, maybe most of your low producers are somewhere between two and four. Or maybe your top producers are more in that particular scale on uh, a seven, eight, or nine. Or sometimes you get four wide, right? It might be six to nine. And so mm-hmm. what you look for is a pattern. And you look down the left, you see all the traits and characteristics. You look at these scales on the right, and you start to see this pattern emerge of how your top producers are different than the others. Well, then what you do is you start to assess people and look for people that fall in that pattern. There's no exact match, right? But when you have a pattern, then some of the best assessments say, well, this person is outside of this range or they're pretty close on one side or the other. Here are some behavioral interviewing questions you can ask to dig more into that area because there isn't, in my opinion, an ethical assessment company today who says that you should use their assessment and make your hiring decision solely on that data. Right. The very, the very best, I find, are ones that say, well, you should use the assessment to make about a third of the decision, but you also want to do behavioral interviewing. You also want to do simulations. You also want to do reference and background checks. You want to really cover your bases, and again, it's a process. It takes time, but pay me now or pay me later. Yeah, exactly. You know, I can just hear sales managers now listening to this show. They're just like, you know, they got their hands up on their head. They're like, my head hurts. That's so much work. But, I mean, that really is the point. It's a lot of work to create a great sales team and to create a group of salespeople who can go out and, and be successful on a consistent basis. But, you know, I think for me, the, the biggest challenge that hiring managers have to overcome, especially in sales, Mike, is the thing you alluded to earlier, is we, we start – 
we start finding what we want to find. We, we get halo effect. Oh, this guy looks like me. He sounds like me. He sounds good. And then we start ignoring the rest of that stuff. And to me, if we don't learn anything from what you're saying today is you've got to set some very tangible benchmarks and be willing to trust those benchmarks. That is, that is exactly right. You know what I've seen almost every time I've implemented a hiring process like we're describing, and I've done it now probably eight or nine times, different companies and clients, is that initially managers will want to buck the system. And we give them, I typically I give them, I should say, I give them the ability to override if they want. Right? They, they see the assessment results, they don't buy them. They see the interview results, they think they're stellar, and they ignore any red flags. And so I give them the ability to go ahead and hire that candidate. Well, you know what happens, right? That candidate fails miserably. And the next time around, they have a little bit more trust in the system. And so we all learn from experience. And you know, I, think, I think the times where I've gotten the best buy-in to these uh, hiring processes is when we've had those types of experiences. And if you track over time, you start to learn pretty quickly how accurate your system is and how accurate gut feel is and which one is winning. And you know what? In probably 25 years or so of doing this to some degree or another, I've never seen the gut win consistently over the system. Now, I have seen, and I think this is a fair point that people need to hear, I have seen gut feel sometimes win over the system. Even the systems systems are not perfect. But if you trust and accept in the system and go with it the majority of time and you use it consistently so that your hiring is fair and ethical and you don't get yourself in legal trouble, you'll be far better off in the end than if you make you know, one-off exceptions for candidates and not follow the rules sometime, exposing your company to legal risk, et cetera. Now, in terms of the managers right in their, their head and their hands, boy, I, I totally agree. Having been a sales manager, if I had to do all of this on my own, right, it would have been very, very difficult. So this is where sales, in, in, in need, sales leaders need to interface with human resources, They need to engage perhaps sales enablement if they have sales enablement at their company or think about getting it. They need to work with other experts and people. They need to hire outside resources if they need to to get somebody to put this stuff together for them so it becomes a plug-and-play system that busy sales managers can then benefit from as opposed to practically sinking the ship just trying to hire people. Yeah, no doubt about it. Mike Kunkel joining us as we talk about selling and hiring salespeople and so forth. Just about a minute before we take our next break, you you wrote something called The Simple Truths About Selling. It starts this way. Complex B2B selling is not easy, but it is a lot simpler than some want you to believe. Give me a little intro to that. We're going to come back after the break and talk, talk more about it. But what what is the point you're trying to get across? Well, you know what, Kelly? This isn't rocket science, right? It's 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 really about understanding what's going on somewhere else, where the where the pains are, where the gains are, how our product or service fits into it, who's making the decision, how they're making the decision, and and how do I have to work with them to earn their business? It's not easy, like I said, but it isn't rocket science. And sometimes we we grossly over. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free. And we're going to come back after the timeout. More from Mike Kunkel and your notebooks getting full. You got a lot more ahead of you because we're going to continue our conversation about simple truths about selling. 
get Kelly Riggs is an author, a highly acclaimed speaker, and a business performance coach for companies it, and executives wrong, across the country. The now in his eighth year as founder and president of VMAX Performance Group, Kelly has written two books, One-on-One Management, Every Great Manager Knows That You Don't, and Quit Whining and Start Selling, a step-by-step guide to a Hall of Fame career in sales. Both are available on Amazon.com. Is it time to put Kelly to work for you? For more information on training or consulting in sales, leadership development, or strategic planning, visit VMAXPG.com. That's VMAXPG.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Hi, I'm John Spence, one of the top 100 business thought leaders in the world, and you're listening to The Business Locker Room with Kelly Riggs. Hey, welcome back to Biz Locker Radio. Great to have you on board. I'm your host, Kelly Riggs. As we mentioned going into the break, bizlockerradio.com is where you can find us. We do it every week, every single week, Mondays, 3 o'clock Central Time, the business show with compelling conversations and cutting-edge content that you can use to improve your performance starting right now. No need to wait. You're going to get some information in each show that's going to impact what you do. We're in a conversation with Mike Kunkel. Find him at MikeKunkel.com. And Mike, we started talking about the simple truths of selling. And boy, you've got a ton of these listed on a LinkedIn article that you wrote. By the way, follow Mike on LinkedIn as well because his publishing there is, is just fantastic. Tell me about some of the simple truths of selling uh, that perhaps sometimes elude us. Sure, Kelly. So I think it starts with it's not really just about your products and service and capabilities, but it's how what you do solves problems for other people or enables opportunities for them, right? So who does your solution help and how? And if you think about that from a buyer-oriented perspective, right, I, I talk a lot about a buyer-oriented selling system. That's, that's the real crux to me of professional selling. And it's about finding and engaging with people who have problems that you can solve or opportunities that you can enable. That's, I think, the, the, the baseline of it. And then I have 21 bullet points in that article that you mentioned that are just the step-by-step, what are the things that you need to do? Why is it? Why do you think it's difficult for people to absorb these things? I mean, you've got a very linear approach here. shows you exactly how you go down this path. I'm, I'm appalled many times at... Uh, how little attention we pay, play, uh, pay to sales process and training the sales process. Forget about it. Why, why, why is it a problem? Uh, you know, it's, a, it's an age-old question. I'm not sure that I've got a, a phenomenal answer for you. I, I think what happens is that, you know, generally we tend to be sort of, you know, the center of the universe, right? And so we know that we've got goals. We've got pressures. You know, we've got, uh, we've got sales that we need to make. And so we're a little like that old joke about the consultant, right? You know, everything that uh, we've got a hammer, so everything looks like a nail. So we're just going out looking for nails and swinging. And, you know, that's not necessarily the way that you're going to become a sales superstar. Yeah, I agree with you. I did. It's... 
I think people overlook the fact that how, how much time and effort goes into effectively leading a sales team. We tend to get focused on the mechanics like CRM and automation and social media and uh, just making calls for the sake of making calls, and we really forget about the big picture. It puts an awful lot of emphasis not only on hiring the right salespeople, Mike. It's really important to get the right sales leader, too. Uh, let's talk a little bit about that. How do you, how do you find the right sales leader? It's not always the best salesperson, as you alluded to earlier. No, but that's what happens most frequently, right, Cy? You know, Kelly, I've, I've, read, uh, I've read everything you've published, and I certainly have read your books, right? So I think about the, the leadership that you write about, and if people aren't reading that stuff, uh, they should be ashamed, and they should, they should go get your stuff and read it, because you've got the best perspective probably on sales leadership that almost anyone else that I've, I've run into. You know, it's, it's the same type of approach that I want salespeople to use about the buyer. It's a buyer-oriented selling system. And you can't lose sight of that when you're a manager, but now you serve the rep. All right? They're not there to, to make quota for you. You're there to help them achieve the greatness that will get the company to where they need to get to, that will get them to where they need to get to. And I think it's through that other focus and the, the servant attitude and I don't, you know, that's not something that, that grows on trees. I don't think uh, real leadership, I think it can be taught to people, but I, I think it's also inherent in people. So if you start to identify what are the kind of leadership traits I'm looking for, who are the people that serve others, who are the people that will go out of their way, who, who really likes to help and coach and teach and is patient and can ask questions and can engage people. And then there's also the, the analytics piece. You have to at least have enough wiring to say, how am I going to figure this problem out? You know, I know Bob isn't making quota, but where in the pipeline is Bob having trouble with conversion? What are the sticking points and issues? How do I dig into that with him? How can I help? Wow, well, thank you tremendously for the wonderful compliment. Uh, you, don't, you don't hear things that dynamic very often. That, that's, that's much appreciated. It, it leads us directly into a topic that I have great passion for, and I know that you do as well, and that is sales training. There, there may be very few things that companies do worse than hiring uh, than, than sales training. Uh, that, that may be the one thing that's as, uh, as abysmal. And I don't say those things to be critical or to run people down. I mean, it's, it's one of the true places, Mike, both hiring and training, where companies can make enormous uh, improvements in the quality and quantity of revenue production. I mean, it's, it's something that we tremendously overlook. So let's, let's talk a little bit about sales training. Let's, let's start off with uh, the people that don't do it very well. What, what are some of the real common mistakes that you see out there? It, Short of not having any training, what, what's the next thing? Well, I think the, the biggest thing is that someone will say, hey, we need some sales training, and some well-meaning order-taking trainer will stand up and say, I can get some of that. And they go out and they look at a couple companies and they buy some training and they implement it. Okay, that's great. So how do we know that that was the sales training that was needed? So lack of a needs or gap analysis is a big piece. That mm -hmm. leads to content that won't actually matter or make a difference in the real world if used. And, uh, you know, I see that mistake happen a lot, but that almost doesn't matter because after the training happens, there's so little knowledge sustainment, skill transfer, or coaching to mastery that you lose most of it anyway. And that's probably the, the, the next biggest challenge is that it's implemented so poorly that even if it could make a difference, it won't get a chance to. 
Well, it, much like hiring, Mike, it, it tends to be very reactive in nature. You know, somebody decides, as you mentioned, hey, we got to get these people trained, and somebody runs out and does something. Hiring is a lot like that. What, what does it take to create uh, a, a, even a reasonably systematic approach to training? Well, it starts for me, Kelly, with the content piece, because the content has to work if used in the real world. And that I, I go back to this to till people are sick of it, but it's the top producer analysis that matters. And when you compare those to the middle, you find the differentiating behaviors, you create almost a continue stop-start list, and that, be, that begins at least the content. Now, you have to put that in context as well. What does your sales team need? Are they business development? Are they account managers? Uh, what is the sales process? Right, And having a process and a methodology, aligning that to the buyer piece, and then teaching people the actual practical things that need to be done, those simple truths of selling, right, are probably part of the content. And when you've got the content that works, and you've got great instructional design that works, from there on out, it's almost all manager engagement. Yeah, no question about it. And by the way, if you're listening in, you're getting a lot of great stuff from Mike. I'm going to throw a piece in that worked for me as a young sales guy. You don't have to be a sales manager to go talk to your top sales people and find out what's working. I recall, Mike, when I got into the orthopedic business, one of the first things I did is find out who the top guys were in each product category. And I got those guys on the phone and I asked them how they did it and how they went about it and how were they able to grow to that level. And the amount of information I got was incredible. But when I asked people, when I asked salespeople in organizations across the country, have you done that? The answer is almost always no. And that's one of the easiest places to go find the, the things that work. Yeah, you know what's funny about that, Kelly? In my experience... The, top, the two top producers, the people you'd want to go see and ask those questions, they are so willing and so giving of their time, unlike sometimes you know, the, the, what you think of the stereotype will be is, oh, they don't want to share so that I'll be as successful as them. I've seen the exact opposite. Me so too. when you go to them, they'll pour all this stuff out to you. Now, you've got to kind of sort through it, and you've got to make sense of it and organize it. And that's a lot of what I do to help people in the top producer analysis is, okay, there's all of this information. And by the way, there is a catch. Most true top producers can't fully articulate what differentiates them from the rest. You almost have to observe them to truly finally get to the ground level because there's only there are limits to how they can express and tell you what the differences are. You have to see them in action. And then sometimes that's where the real nuggets come out. And, you know, so if you can get out and, and ride with your top producers, even better. But, you know, if there's a guy like me or sales enablement or sales training who can do the analysis and translate that into training and does observation as part of the process, that's where the real magic happens for me. Boy, what a fantastic point. I mean, that, 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 that's extraordinarily important if you're tuning in. You want to take note of that because I would agree with that 110%. Is many times your top producers, they'll tell you a lot of technical things they, they're doing, but when you see them in action, you see dramatic differences between what they do and what average or below average people do. And that, that again, that places a lot of emphasis, Mike, on the sales manager. A lot of sales managers that do ride-alongs, they're too busy trying to get involved in the actual selling presentation and all that to actually do observation and, and uh, something that will help them in the coaching process afterwards. Give, give us some insight into some, some things that sales managers can do in those ride-alongs, some, some tips for them to get better at what they do. Well, the first thing, Kelly, is to make sure you're going to see something 
that needs some help. And most sales managers, they're busy, right? They're just, you know, scheduling some time with Bob this month, and out they go. And Bob is taking them to their best accounts because, hey, Bob's no dummy. And so you're not going to really see something all the time that, that can really add value. My, my suggestion is, up front, do some analysis. And this is very simple, but I, I like to create a dashboard for managers that includes the conversion ratios between process stages. And I like to do that for the top producers, and I like to do it for a band of the middle, and then I like to do it for a sales team with the individuals. And so let's say this sales manager has five people on his team, and one of them is Bob. And so he's looking at these conversion ratios and compares Bob's ratios to the middle of the pack and the top producers. becomes very quickly, just looking up and down, evident where Bob is not converting and where Bob might need some help. Now I can say, hey, Bob, I'd like to go out with you when you're going out to see clients that are in this situation or in this process stage, and you start to target some areas where you might really be able to help. I think that's big in and of itself. Yeah, that, that's absolutely huge. And I, I know you're a, a fan of data and analytics uh, to, to lead us into more effective decision-making as we go along. Of course, that presupposes that we even have those process pieces defined, the sales process defined for, for the organization. Many organizations don't have that, Mike. If you were going to sit down and get somebody started from scratch, say it's an individual salesperson or a new sales manager, how would you help them develop a sales process that they could measure? Well, I'd start with uh, some some analysis of the of the customers, right? Who are the buyers or the buyer personas that are making the decisions, and what typically are the process that they go through? I'd start with that as the foundation, and probably the key piece of that is in each one of the stages as they're going through and thinking about, you know, they're not aware of a problem. Okay, they're aware of a problem. Okay, now they're exploring the problem. Now they're looking at vendors. Now they're negotiating. Now they're making a decision. Whatever their buying process may be, you start to map what you do to their buying process and don't miss the buying process exit criteria from the buyer's perspective what has to happen in that stage what do they need to know see hold hear about get some collateral on what do they need to feel comfortable with and, and feel they've come to closure on in that stage before the buyer is willing to move forward if you understand that and you can get it generally but in every account, in every situation, you have to understand it for those specific set of buyers. If you get that, your job becomes so much easier because it's all about delivering what they need to help them move forward, which serves you. Yeah, that's great stuff, Mike. we got about two minutes, actually a little bit less. Before we take off, I know that a good CRM package, well-implemented, and that, that's a big phrase, but well-implemented really can help in that sales, sales process piece as well. I know there's big ones out there, but do you have one or two you like to recommend to small businesses or, or individual salespeople? Yeah, for small businesses, I, I take a look at uh, Pipeliner CRM. I take a look at Pipeline Deals. Uh, I hear those names come up time and time again, and Pipeliner does uh, some phenomenal social work as well. I mean, they have a, an incredible blog and share a lot of great information. But they're a real up-and-comer, in my opinion, and Pipeline Deals is used by a lot of small companies with a great degree of success. Uh, good stuff. That's Mike Kunkel. He's our guest. You can find him at Mike. Kunkel.com. Please make sure you read him on LinkedIn. His stuff is fantastic. And if you, if you like the analysis, if you like the data-driven approach, if you really want to make your sales team better, he's the guy you want to start with. The, I, we have the opportunity to interact with a lot of very, very capable colleagues. 
And uh, Mike Kunkel is right up there at the very top. You want to make sure you uh, understand what he's doing. Mike, I can't say thank you enough. Thanks for joining us here on BizLocker Radio. Kelly, it's been a real pleasure. Thanks for having me. Oh, super stuff. Well, all kinds of content from Mike, and um, we, we, we tease him, but when Mike writes something, it's going to mean something, and it's go- you're going to read it. It's going to be there. You're going to be there a while, but trust me, it's not fluff, and it's not there just for the sake of being there. You want to go ahead and follow up and follow through on all of those things. BizLocker Radio, we do this each and every week right here on Voice America, and you will find us at bizlockerradio.com. And as I mentioned, you can, you can download the podcast, put it on iTunes, listen to it in your car. But every single week, live, Monday, 3 p.m. Central Time, we're right here, and you'll want to join us. You may have noticed that uh, Miles Austin is not here this week. He takes a week off from our X's and O's segment each and every week. Miles brings us something really fantastic to look at in terms of productivity. Last week, we looked at a, uh, a tool called PIC, PIC.co. You can find it online. It's great for scheduling, especially if you're a small business or you're an individual sales rep. There's a great tool for you to use. Go find that one as well. Next week, coming up, Steve Baker, the great game of business. Really excited to have him on board. GGOB.com. Find out a little bit about them, and you're going to get a lot more out of what we're doing. Well, again, BizLocker Radio, BizLockerRadio.com, the show with compelling conversations and useful content that you can use to improve your business beginning today. And by the way, one last thing, I get books from all of these great guests that we have on board. I mean, phenomenal books, and they autograph them, they send them to me, and they say, Kelly, give them to your guests. Go on iTunes, rate and review the show, and we're going to send you one absolutely free. All you have to do is send me an email and say, hey, I put up a rating and review, I'm going to send you one. Most recently, Jeff Blunt sent us some great books and we'll send those to you. Well, we're going to see you next week again on BizLocker Radio. Thanks to Michael Sergeant for making us sound a lot better than we really are. And we'll see you next week right here in the Business Locker Room. Thanks for joining the Business Locker Room with your host, Kelly Riggs. Kelly will be back again next week for more business building content and conversation for your playbook. Tune in Mondays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel for another edition of the Business Locker Room. Remember, business is a competition. Play to win. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.